guys, Ishelle here. I am so excited to be sharing this interview that Ken and I did with Michelle. Um, we hope that you enjoy this conversation as much as we did. We mostly just let her talk. I mean, it was so great to be on with her and to just listen to her and the way she thinks. And I mean, we were ready to like march into the street with her <laughs> about any cause, whatever cause she was supporting. We were right there with her. Um, but we really hope you guys enjoy this one. I do want to say that we have a lot more interviews coming up. We have a lot of interviews that we've already done. We just need to edit them and get them released to you guys. So here's what I need from you guys, from our diners. We need you to email us questions that you have for cast members, writers, showrunners, whatever. Now, some interviews we've already done, but if we might have like two hours worth of content and we need to cut that down. So we'll use your questions to kind of go through and figure out what we want to keep and what we want to just have for our own personal entertainment. Um, so do send us questions. It would help if you put who the questions are for. So email them to libertydinerdish at gmail.com. If you put them on one of our social media accounts, it's possible that we won't get all of them over there. So please email them libertydinerdish at gmail.com and uh, put this is for this actor. This is for this showrunner or show writer. This is for whoever. And send us like really good ones. Don't send us something that they've answered like a million times already. <laughs> because we want to make sure that the interview is engaging for them as well as for our listeners. Because, you know, these guys have been giving interviews for 20 years. And so we want to try to address some of those things that haven't been talked about much. Now, let me say two things. One, do not ask me who we're interviewing because I'm not going to tell you. And or who we've already interviewed because I'm not going to tell you that either. It's all going to be a surprise. There will be people that we've already had on coming back. There will be people, people that you haven't heard from yet. Um, so know that. The other thing is we can't guarantee you that we're going to get every question on there because, of course, we have our own questions, but we want to incorporate as many of yours as we can. Um, and it may be the case where we feel like maybe a question that you have for an actor would actually be better answered by a writer or a question you have for a writer might actually be better answered by uh, an actor. So Keep that in mind too. But yeah, we're going to have fun with these interviews. Okay, so I just wanted to put that out there. Send us your questions, libertydinerdish at gmail.com. Um, we have a whole lot more of these coming up. I think what we're going to do with some of that edited content that gets put on the cutting room floor is put that over on Patreon. You can find us there at www.patreon.com slash libertydinerdish. All right, check out the interview. All right, Michelle, thank you so much for being here with the two of us. And uh, we're just going to go ahead and jump in probably wherever where everyone wants to start. So how did you first hear about this role? And what was the deciding factor in you deciding to take on Melanie Marcus? Okay. Uh, okay, where did I first? Well, well, okay. I was in my apartment and my agent calls me up and she said, I'm going to send you a script. And I said, oh, great. And that was back when they used to send hard copies of scripts to your apartment. And you had to work to get to that level, by the way. The business has changed so much. So anyway, I said, oh, great. So, you know, this hard copy of the script arrives at my apartment in this manila envelope. And it says Queers Folk. And I was like, oh, yeah, yeah. I'd heard like some rumblings of some English version. A friend of a friend of mine had bootleg copies of this English version that was supposed to be like the first all gay show. And it was going around, right? You're you're lucky if you got this bootleg copy. So I was like, oh, wow, they're doing the American version. So 
I'm on this couch. I ended up selling for 50 bucks to pay my rent, you know? And so I'm sitting on this couch. Last I was going to have this couch. And I'm sitting there and I start reading the script. And I'm like, oh, this is great. This is amazing. This is phenomenal. I love this. And then we get to the part in the pilot script where my character I was auditioning for, Melanie, um, says, I don't care what men think about their dicks. And I said, oh, my God, i got to play. That. Are you kidding me? You know, you got to understand, up until that point, you never saw that line anywhere. I mean, you know, it, it was just something. It, to me, it was a revolution. And I called up my agents. I said, I'm, I'm going after this. This is mine. Like, I became, I just, I can't tell you, but I knew it was mine. I knew I could play it, unlike any other actress and I was I just I I wanted it and so you know we started the audition process and um I did call a friend of mine because she really was a Jewish and a lesbian actress and I said you know are you did you see this I just felt like I had to tell her about it because you know we were back then in our 20s you know everyone's like helping each other out you see the script you see the script and she's like yeah 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 I, I, I can't do that and I was like why why are you not I mean, come on man this is amazing and she said no 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 because then everyone will know I'm gay and I can't and so you have to understand it was that script came to Hollywood and people were freaking out People were freaking out. They're like, oh, my God, what is this script? Oh, it's all gay characters. And, you know, now you look back and you're like, oh, my God, people are freaking out, you know. And it's so ridiculous. But um, that's what it was. And I wasn't freaked out so much as really thrilled, excited to see that um, and and excited to, to be part of it. And so the first, I got to tell you, the first audition I walk in and the casting director is like, can you come back, meet the producers? And I was like, yeah, sure. So I come back and I meet Dan and Ron and I could tell they were like, oh, oh yeah, uh-huh, yeah, that's it. And then there was like a network. I think I auditioned like four times. There was the network audition uh, where it's just by myself. And then there was a final call with Taya. And this is what's really weird. And I think we've talked about this before, but at the final call, so let's say there are like 30 actors. I don't know how many actors and actresses were there at the Showtime office, but um, there were like 30. And everyone from Queers Folk who ended up getting the job, we all gravitated to each other in the corner of this, you know, we were on whatever, the eighth, the 10th floor of this big building. And we were, we all started to gravitate towards each other. I remember this one beefcake guy going after Gail's role, kept trying to pick up on me. And I was like, it ain't going to happen. <laughs> Back it up, buddy. It ain't ever going to happen. And he was like, real like muscle guy, right? Meathead. You know, like, yeah. And, um, and I ended up sitting next to Gail and I looked over at his tattoo. He has this little tattoo that says resist. And I said, oh. I said, what's that all about? <laughs> you know, we were all like, we all were gravitating towards each other. And, and Peter was hovering around and Scotty was, oh, was Scott there or not? I can't remember. It was, anyway, it was, a lot of us were gravitating towards each other. And then I remember I looked over at Taya and I was so worried that it was all going to be like a tits and ass show. I was like, there's a lot of nudity in this show. There's a lot of sex happening. And I'd had several conversations with the producers and I said, look, this is not going to be, this is not going to be um, two lesbians having sex for straight guys. This is going to be 
a couple who they've been together for seven years. They're raising kids. They're, it's down and dirty. They're living their life. And so the sex has to come out of those circumstances, those yeah. specifics, right? And so, and I was really nervous. I was like, oh God, Taya's character, Lindsay, are they going to get like some blonde, bimbo, da, da, da. And so I see her at the audition, the last call. Oh my God, she's so natural, no makeup. She's got these little pigtails and she's wearing overalls, a sweet <laughs> girl. I mean, and I walk over to her and I've been down and I put my hand on her knee. I said, don't, and I could tell she was a little nervous. I was like, don't worry, we're going to be great. We got it. <laughs> <laughs> I just took charge. And then we had to walk in the room for a chemistry, chemistry read. I took her hand and I, and I said, follow me. And we walk in and I said, we're your girls. <laughs> I was in character. I was going after it. I had such certainty. I cannot tell you the certainty. And I've had it at other moments in my life with other roles. But that one, I can't tell you how much confidence and certainty I walked in there with. And um, it even amazes me because, you know, you walk into the last final network audition and it's like 10, 12, 15 executives sitting around a big table that's big enough for 10, 12, 15 executives, you know, it could be intimidating, but I was not intimidated by the least. And um, so that was that, you know, and then I flew up with Peter Page and it was just him and I on the plane that day. Everyone flew up at different times. And I remember I got him a pillow. He was a little nervous to fly. And I got him a pillow. And, you know, that was the beginning of that friendship. And so it was, I think that there is a certain, I don't know, I don't know, lightning in a bottle aspect to it. You know, I, I think that there are a lot of factors that go in to create a hit show. I think that, you know, we we all had a theater background and, and we quickly learned that about each other. And that makes a big difference because like Tay and I would be running our lines in an alley somewhere and, you you know, giving each other like, okay, yeah, this is good. This is good. Okay, I'm going to do that. Okay, let's make that flow. Okay, let's even, oh, you're going to pause. Okay. And so we just got right down to the work. And that to me is exciting. And you can do that sometimes uh, with someone from theater. Uh, there's a, maybe a shorthand there. Um and so that was exciting. And I think we all challenged each other. I think we all brought something to it. You know, I, I think uh, I know that when Tay and I did that first love scene, I think I was sucking on her breast. But we were very, very focused on the specifics. We're tired. It's late at night. We're moms. You know, there are all these, you know, that's the work of the actor to bring all those specifics to the moment. So it's not just a general love scene. And, and also the intimacy. You know, even I said, this is the kiss of people who've been together for seven years. Now, that's a different kiss than people who just met. It's a different kiss than a three-month kiss, a two-year kiss. It's seven years. And so those specifics, I think, created such intimacy that even Dan and Ron said, you guys set the bar for intimacy on this show. I mean, set the bar. And um, but so I think that was really in my contribution to the show was that intimacy and that playing for keeps and that really um getting down down and dirty with the characters and the lives of these women but um it was great she was a great partner to to bounce things off of and we had a lot of chemistry you know we just had a lot of love and hate and everything and, and i think going through all that for five years you know was um you know we were pretty sturdy because that can be very intense our scenes were intense 
they were always writing this intense stuff. And I was like, just have a dinner party with like a melody wow. or something. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think that's something that we noticed about mm-hmm. you and uh, you and Taya about Melanie and Lindsay was that it was so believable. I mean, as the individuals, but also as the couple. And, you know, that was kind of a question we I know like what you're saying, a lot of it is just the methodology of acting, but I would imagine there had to be something that you guys did to make that bond so believable mm-hmm. over over the season. Because we joke about like Melanie Marcus is literally walking these streets out here somewhere. They feel like she's so real. Yes. <laughs> she is so we real. We feel that way about all of these. And you talk about it being so real and y'all setting the bar. I think that's true because that relationship did feel lived in. Where did. You understood where they were annoyed with each other about things or so comfortable with each other about things. And right. so that all came through. Like I totally got this relationship has been going on for a while, even at episode one. True. And you just stated now, and it makes sense. Even at the audition, like you took charge. That was a Melanie type thing. This you coming right over the tail, putting your hand on her knee. It's going to be, I can see Mel doing that. Like yeah. from the moment you stepped on, you were Melanie. Yeah. I tell you, I just like, I, I plopped into that role and I just, it, it was like I, it, it was, yeah, I inhabited that role. I mean, it was really, and it was five years. So it's not like a movie where you do it for two or three months. You know, you do it for five years. And that's um, that's an intense journey. And especially playing such an intense character and 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 someone I loved so much. I, I loved her. And I also have a lot in common with her, too. You know, and I think that it came to me at a time and I was really tired of playing these. You got to understand. I was like the Warner brothers guest star slut. I was going on all these shows as the guest star playing, setting up the jokes for the straight guy, wearing my little push up bra, trying to get the most out of my small breasts, you know, <laughs> to pound in the pavement, in my pumps. And so there was something so liberating about, you know, character that, um, I, I knew that everything she did, she was so authentically herself. Right. And she didn't have that eye to what do the straight guys think about me? You know, what are they? Are they do they like me? Do they this? And so there was a liberation in that that I I kind of felt deep down when I came to Hollywood. My first time I met with this one big agent and he said, well, you know, you should be wearing short skirts and a thong and a boob job. And I was like, yeah, that's not my sexuality. Mm-mm. So, if you want to represent that? You go find an actress who's like that. And here I am in my my jeans and my my jack, my leather jacket, thinking I'm really sexy. I was like, I'm sexy. I like how I look. And if you don't, well, then you got to get some better taste. And um, and you know, I just I grew up with like black and white movies, and my dad watching black and white movies, and Jean Luc Godard, and you know Humphrey Bogart, Lauren Bacall, mm-hmm. and she wasn't big breasted. You know, she was just yeah. like. It's like this sleek, you know, smooth, like, you know, cool cat. And um, and so I think for me, Melanie was it was meant for me and I was meant for her. And I and I understood her mm, lack of disregard for what the straight what, what the man thinks about you. Just mm-hmm. it, it was a big fuck you to all yeah. that misogyny and what they put women through, you know, just the the outfits you would be wearing in, in the heels. And it's like, and I got comfy in her real fast. I was like, give me those cargo pants <laughs> and I'm going to chop off my hair and no makeup and let's go, baby. Right. <laughs> yeah. It was so refreshing. I can't even tell you. And even now when I see, you know, uh, well, when we used to audition, the business has changed a lot. Now everything is tape. 
um, and you send in your your tape. But when we used to audition, you'd see other actresses, and I'd see these young girls looking like little Melanie Marcuses, and I was like, okay, good job, people, carry on, carry it forth, you know. Um, so I, I think it was an important character to me, and I, I think it was important, you know, in the grand scheme of television because I didn't even know it, but I did this article for Girlfriends magazine. I can't remember what year, maybe. 2002 it, it all blends but um they said you know in the article they mentioned that i played the first full-time always has been hard on the kinsey scale out of the closet you know, never in the closet lesbian character on tv i was like oh shit did i do that oh okay you did. Yeah. Yeah. what about ellen but then you go oh well ellen came out of the closet on tv and so melanie was the first of her kind and i think it was important and i i wish that there were more even more lesbians on TV. I think that um, there can't be enough diversity. And I, I, people ask me, um, you know, about the reboot and they're like, oh, it was canceled. And how do you feel? And I'm like, I, to be honest, it makes me sad, you know, because you got to understand that's wrapped up in our legacy. You know, and I remember when I first heard about it, I wrote this whole letter and I was going to send it. And it was like, this is our legacy and you protect it. You got to go full with it. You got, you know, and this is like, you know, cause you got to understand, like, when we did this, it was so controversial, and everyone was freaking out, and we just went balls to the wall, you know, ovaries to the wall. I mean, we were just like, we are not pulling back on this. We're going as full as the English version, if not beyond, and we even got to a point where we were on the floor. We used to have these parties on the weekends at, at my... Um, little apartment in Toronto and there'd be like wine and Chinese food and we'd, you know, get silly drunk. And then we'd write these letters to show time and sign it, you know, with all of our signatures. And I remember one time we wrote a letter and we said, you know, we stand by every frame we shot. We put our asses literally on the line. And if you start editing stuff out to clean it up, we will revolt. Like we were like so intense about everything we did, but we knew we could not be seen as the prude Americans. And that was our fears that they'd be like, oh, it didn't go as far or, oh, they tried to clean it up. And, and so, um, and so that was really important to us. And, uh, and I, I, I wish the reboot would have continued. You know, I think it's sad that it was canceled. I wish they would have given them a chance and I can honestly say that I think that it's a different business. You know, mm-hmm. things aren't given the chance that they used to give, you know, because it's that's not the business. And so anyway, I digress, but I always have a lot to say. <laughs> but it was those conversations that you you guys had with the uh, with the network that made the show feel so authentic. I mean, if they would have removed any of those things, we would have never had those emotional connections with those characters. So, I mean, we applaud you guys for standing up because, I mean, like you said, it was controversial. So, I mean, you guys standing up, you're kind of like risking your own jobs just by standing up and taking that stance. But, I mean, you guys united and you were able to portray, I mean, a true depiction of that lifestyle. And, I mean, it resonated with all of us. And we're still talking about it 20 years later. And you still, yeah. and when you watch that show, it's almost as if time has not even passed. Like you're really? in that moment when you're watching it. I watched it for the first time during that podcast session. So it's still fresh on me. We just finished season five. So it's still okay. like on me. I had to take a break. I was so emotional over the entire <laughs> series. And that season five just took me out. So 
I, I literally had to take a break. We had to step. I said, I can't record. We have to wait. We had to take two or three weeks. <laughs> and uh, so I can just soak it up and just work through my emotions. And then we get you now. So, I mean, like, I, I am in heaven right now. And wow. then hearing the backstories of, of how you guys have these conversations and just the meeting and the chemistry between you guys. I mean, it really shows. Yeah, it does um, feel like it was all fated to happen because I know, you know, and hearing you guys saying that how you actors were like, we are adamant about this. I know Ron and Dan felt the same way about it. And pretty much everyone in that writer's room that I've had the pleasure of speaking with uh, felt that same way. And so to have the creators feel that way, the actors feel that way in a script that matches that in a network that's like, OK, fine. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, that can't just go yeah. do it. I, I mean, Showtime did. They, they let us go. You know, mm-hmm. and and we probably didn't have to write the letter, but I, I do know there's something that happened where there are a couple seconds of frame they were going to take out. And I think that encouraged us to write the letter. And then the couple seconds weren't taken out. And um, so we were just but, you know, we were we were all young and we had nothing to lose. You know, we, you know, we were all rebels, you know, and, and we all found our rebel brothers and sisters. And when you get a group of true rebels together who do give zero fucks, you can really create something special because we were willing to stand up to anyone. And, you know, Ron and Dan were like our our forefathers or, or you know, our forefathers. They were like our fathers. I mean, they were very. Um, oh, how do I describe it? I, I sometimes don't know if they get the credit they deserve because they, you know, they studied at the O'Neill Center. They, um, they, you know, honed their craft on Eugene O'Neill and, you know, different plays and, and, uh, and really diving into to theater. And they'd done a series before. So they really understood how to take a storyline and draw it out for 20 episodes so that it pays off. Because you've got to get to know the characters and fall in love with them before you can expect them to take a journey with you on a tragedy. You've got to do that. And so they built that. And they understood the delineation between characters. You know, part of me cutting my hair off is we had to delineate Tay and I. And it has to be very, almost, I would say, archetypal. You know, so you have these archetypes that are very clear. And, um, of course, you got to make those archetypes human. But Dan and Ron were very smart with that. And, you know, at the end of season one, when Randy's character, that was such a beautiful scene, he shot i mean it was it was just so gorgeous when he is bashed in the head you know they took 20 episodes to get us to that moment and so they earned that moment people had fallen in love with him and he was the golden boy and so when that happened it was really devastating and so anyway i guess what i'm saying is dan and ron really they they know their craft and uh, the art of storytelling via TV, which is much different than film. Film, you have two hours. TV, you're going to go into people's living rooms and Mm -hmm. you're going to, you know, hopefully take them on a journey that lasts four or five years. But, um, you know, they were great to to work with for for me. I I really enjoyed a lot of our material and and everyone else was uh, amazing. And it was really such a journey. And um, anyway... And when when you think of queers folk, what is a standout moment for you? Scene, story arc, episode, and just overall. It doesn't have to be, you know, just um, a male. It can be the entire cast or, you know, whatever stands out to you. When you think of queers folk, what comes to your mind? Yeah. What, what, what are some of your favorite, uh, yeah, some of the legacy moments uh, for you? 
I mean, there's so many. It is. I I loved acting in Melanie's skin. Like I I loved it. I just I just know the first time I went after my character went after Brian Gail's character. It was at the Briss, and I had <clears throat> I had looked around the room and I was like, I'm gonna go off on this man. I'm gonna I'm gonna give it to him, and he's gonna be fucking shocked. I'm gonna give it to him because she is pissed. She is fucking pissed. Like I was like, you know, going doing my like inner monologue, getting ready for this thing. And I was looking around. I was like, I'm gonna slam every goddamn cupboard in this kitchen. And I was such a nightmare for the sound guy, Heim, our sound guy. He's like, he's like, I need to put something on the cupboard. I'm like, okay, Heim, but I'm gonna slam sh- the shit out of them. And he's like, okay. You go. I mean, but it was what I loved about that moment is that I knew. You got to understand, like it. it Women, a woman's anger is not um, accepted as much as a man's anger, right? And so for a, a, a female, for an actress to act out that sort of anger was delicious for me because I, I didn't have to be perfect. I could be all those shades of pissed off and in your face and a bit too much. And maybe at times my face was contorted and not so attractive, but I got to be a full-fledged human. And even now... In 2022, we're fighting to be full-fledged humans. You know, we're treated like livestock in this country, but that's a whole other issue. I'm not going to go there. Um, but so in that scene, the liberation of being, you know, at a 10, being pissed off and slamming these cupboards and getting right up in Gail's face and scaring him a little bit, it was liberating. And I felt like everyone on that creative journey went with me. No one was telling me, okay, that's a bit too much. Or, oh, can you not slam? You know, a lot of times you're on a set, oh, can you not slam the cupboards? That's going to be a problem for sound. It was like, I'm acting here, baby. I'm going. You catch up with me. And that was so liberating. I can't even tell you how wonderful that was. And that was just the beginning of me getting to have those moments. You know, there's a moment that sticks out where, I don't know, I come to his loft and I'm wearing a brown leather jacket and I slam the door shut. And I just give it to him. And that was another moment where I, once again, I got to take the Ferrari out of the, the, the garage and, and, and rev it and drive it. And oftentimes, you know, especially before then, and sometimes after then, I feel like the Ferrari's sitting in the garage. And I'm like, I've got a Ferrari here. I want to go take it fucking out for a spin, baby. And, um, and then there, was, there were moments... Um, you know, so many moments, but the first love scene with Taya, where she and I knew that we were going to be able to play this for keeps. We were going to be able to play this the way that it should be played. And that was like, okay, this is, this is going to be good. You know, this is, I feel secure with the set, with the, the producers, with everyone, we were in a safe place to create. And that was a really great moment for me. And then there are moments like, um, you know, the wedding, where I got to write my own vows and I got to use the word beshert, which is a, a, a Yiddish word for meant to be, you know? And so I got to throw in sprinkles of that. And in you got to understand Dan and Ron, you know, they were very protective of the writing. So for them to give me that was a big deal. And I really appreciated that. Um, and then there were little things, you know, I talked to Dan and Ron about there was uh, Julian Moore did this movie. I cannot remember the name of it, but in one part of the movie, she's having a, a fight with this, uh, her partner and she's ironing and she's naked from the waist down. And I said, to Dan and Ron, I said, I, you know, if we can do nudity, can we do some nudity like that? So it's not always about sex. It's just about people living together. And so I remember in one scene, I think I'm brushing my teeth and um, I'm naked from the waist down or something. I can't remember. I think I'm in my underwear, 
but so pieces of of that I wanted to um, get in there, and they were very open to that because they're just they're you know it's wonderful to collaborate. Um, and I mean, so many moments. I remember the moment when I said, "What about a motorcycle? Like, can we can we do a motorcycle?" I I spent some time in San Francisco after that first season. And I was going to a lot of drag king shows and I was hanging out in the city and I was like, you know, we got, we got to have some drag kings and we got to have a motorcycle. And, you know, I mean, if this is a show and we get to play, let's fucking play, baby, let's go. And so we, we got that and that was really cool. And I wanted to drive the motorcycle and insurance wouldn't let me because they have to, I always want to do my own stunts. I always want, I did an action film and I wanted to, I said, I can run up on the wall and do a drop kick. And I did it for him. He's like, that's great. The director said, that's great, but we can't for insurance. Purposes. <laughs> yeah. Tom Cruise does. And he's like, you're not Tom Cruise. And I was like, okay, okay. That's cool. Um, but yeah, so uh, stuff like that. The second season was fun with, with that sort of stuff. Um, I mean, there were so many moments. I can't even begin to think. There was a moment in the, um, there was a moment we were, I can't remember what scene it was. I was wearing my favorite shirt, which I actually gave to auction off for charity. And I miss it so much. <laughs> so I was wearing that shirt and I was wearing these cargo pants. I was in the living room and Taya, uh, Taya's character and Melanie were having a fight. And the script didn't even call for tears, but I burst out into tears. And that was a great moment because I knew that I was just in it and I was living it. And that's a great moment as an actor where you're not working it up to get tears, but it just, it, it, you're in it and it affects you and, and it's taking you for a ride, you know? And that was, um, that was a great moment. So I, I mean, there are so many moments. It, it just, it's endless. There was a moment where I was telling Taya, we were in the hospital. I was telling her that I, my character was telling her I cheated on her. And we talked about that. And I talked to her about how one time I had to tell someone I cheated on them and their legs gave out. And, and that we talked about that scene a lot. And I remember it was just, it was a great scene. It was very real. You know, we, that's the thing about working with other actors who want to get in there and do the work. You can talk about personal experiences. You can talk, you can bring your full self and your life experience to the, to the role. And, uh, it, I think that's what we're here for. You know, actors are looking at the human condition. They're looking at what it means to be human, what it means to be living in this world. And the more you can bring that to the work, the more people might relate to it. Mm -hmm. yeah. True. Yeah. You give what you get, you know, mm -hmm. and when you give it to, to your, your scene, your, your scene partner, they're going to give it right back because they can't help but to feel those emotions racing through you. So. Yeah. Yeah. And that's fun. And that's really, I remember this is a funny story. You'll probably think it's weird, but I was, my mentor was Milton Kinsellis. He passed away. He was a great theater director. His mentor was Elliot Kazan, who took him under his wing. And Milton took me under uh, his wing, wing when I was 19. And he loved me because he would be like, we'd be doing like some workshop of Antigone or Cat on Hopton Roof. And he be like, oh, can you uh, climb over there with one leg and have a tear rolling down? And I was like, which eye, left or right? I mean, we were just like, we were just in it. And I would do whatever he said. And so we worked together quite a bit. Um, but um, yeah, but one time after we were doing a workshop with Cat on Hot Tin Roof, and it was, I love that part. It's such a great part. 
And uh, after rehearsal, I was, I was, I went in the green room and I just started bawling. I was crying. And he's like, what's the matter, lady? What's going on? And I said, I got to be honest. I like rehearsal more than I like real life. He's like, me too, kid. Me too. And we had such a great discussion. We sat there for 20 minutes talking. And I think what it is is see, this is why I think people love acting. For me, it was never about, you know, I was more like in love with the art inside myself, not in love with myself and the art. It's not like, oh, look at me, look at me. It's more like, no, what do I have to give? What do I have to express? And so for me, rehearsal is all about looking at the human condition, calling it for what it is, really looking at the ugly parts, the parts that in life we gloss over and we don't want to talk about and we have to hide and we, you know, but rehearsal is just the opposite. You're looking at the truth of the human condition. And that to me is really exciting. That's, that's the whole thing. So I would imagine being on a show like this m- makes you an ally. You have no choice but to be an ally. And you probably were before. But in what ways do you feel like being a part of this journey made you a better or more vocal ally? Well, that's a good question. Um, well, I think it, first of all, gave me a platform so I could, you know, let my point of view rip. And uh, also, I will tell you that I got to step, step inside the skin of what that feels like. And I'd never felt that before. And once you feel that, you know that feeling and it stays with you. So I was at, short story, I was at, um, I was dating this person and they took me over to a friend's house they went to college with. And we were about to have a dinner. And this lady like didn't like me from the very beginning. Like she just didn't like me. And I was like, what? She, God, she's such a bitch. Jesus Christ. I'm going to waste a whole night with her. Like, this is what's going through my mind, right? And I'm like, well, okay, well, here we are. And she kept going on about queer as folk. And then she started talking about um, how she went to a ski trip in Vermont and there were all these lesbians and it was so gross and this and that. And when she said that, I got this weird sort of pit in the bottom of my stomach. And it started climbing up and climbing up and climbing up. And I felt like I was going to throw up. And I just said, you know what? I play a lesbian on TV. I said, what you're doing is so rude. It's so mean. It's so this. I started going off on her. I stood up and I said, and I can't eat your food. I'm going home. And I got my ass up and I walked out of her house. And it was a feeling that um, will stay with me for the rest of my life. And it was a feeling of being discriminated against and, and being judged and being hated and being around ignorance. And, um, you know, you feel it in all different sorts of capacities. Sometimes I felt it as a woman, but that day I felt it very specifically as a, a, as a lesbian. And um, I would just tell her to fuck off all over again. And I know this is not like like podcast talk, but but that that feeling has stayed with me um, ever since then. And so, yes, of course, I was an ally before. I mean, my one of my best friends in high school was gay and I used to stand up for him. And so I was a, a natural born ally. Um, but that made it a personal in a way where I could understand it from the inside out. And it's ugly. You know, it's like what I teach Dashiell. When when you see that person um, being bullied or whatever you want to call it, you your job as a human is to get up and go stand by that person. Go walk yeah. beside them and don't let them eat alone. 
coming to cry, but it's like the, it's it's a weird fucking world. Like, and I see it from parent too. Like, as a parent, I see that whole world. I see other parents literally. I'm sure that they are raising their kid to be aggressive on purpose. And I'm like, no wonder the world's fucked up. You have parents out there who are raising their kids to be aggressive. And and I, I think what it is is they, they're so afraid their kid's going to be bullied. You know, I raised Dashiell. Sometimes you stand up for yourself. And most of the time you try to just be compassionate. And listen, that's a lot harder to raise a child like that. It's much easier to be like, yeah, go be aggressive. Be the biggest, you know, aggressive person you can be. You know, that's easy. That doesn't take, that's not the art of parenting. It takes no thought at all. And to raise your child to be as nice as Dashiell is and to be thoughtful and kind and strong, not a pushover, it's harder. But um, so, yeah, I, I mean, I don't know if that answers your question, but I think that that defining moment for me and then having the platform to say something and have people listen, you know, yeah. With Melanie being such a, a very strong person, a strong character, what would you say would be her biggest weakness? Well, this is what I always thought of Melanie. I think that that tough shell is is there because she's had to fight her entire life. You know, I, I could relate to that because even, you know, as a woman, you, you know, you're standing in a room and there's a straight guy telling bad jokes and everyone's, whoa, 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 you know, and you're like, oh, fuck, you know, and you're saying something absolutely brilliant and yet no one is listening to you and welcome to the world of a, you know, a Hollywood actress. And so, or female, you know, in, in any, uh, any industry, you know, there, there have been Women have learned to amplify each other's voices, to be heard, to echo each other, to be heard in a room full of men. And so I think that sometimes when you want to be a strong woman, you're you're fighting so much all the time, fighting, 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 because every day there are all these microaggressions. And underneath all that fighting is this little girl who just wants to be unconditionally loved. And so I think Melanie... Her weakness, if there is one, <laughs> no, her weakness is that, you know, she's a very sensitive little girl underneath all of that, who probably had to fight from day one, you know, to be heard, to be seen, um, to to do, you know, what the boys are doing and not be judged for it. And I think it's exhausting. I don't, I don't think she can ever let down her guard. And so the moments when she, she does, I don't know, I always found it heartbreaking, her sensitive side. I think she's actually more sensitive than Lindsay in that respect. Mm-hmm. True. And we got to witness that um, during um, when Mel was pregnant with JR and that whole trouble with, you know, the infidelity on Lindsay's end. To see, to see Melanie's character hurt like that. I mean, she was going through so much. She was pregnant. I mean, her wife was having an affair. like With a man. Yeah, with yeah. a man. And yeah. some, yes. ultimate she, insult to Melanie. Yeah. Yes. And yeah. so we got to see her, that wall kind of break down on her because her walls were closing in on her. So we got to see all that raw emotion. We got to see that hurt inside of her because we always saw her so strong, always fighting, you know, always the leader this time it was like out of her control so we kind of got to see that side of male yeah definitely understand what you're you're saying yeah yeah that was that was a tough storyline that was horrible that was just horrible oh god it was horrible to shoot i hated that 
I was just, oh, I was so pissed off. I mean, a man, a yeah. man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oof, oof. Yeah, that's Good conflict, good storytelling. Good, good. Yeah, yeah, it is good conflict and good storytelling. I know a lot of people take issue with that, but I think it was an important story to tell, and especially because what it brought out of those characters. And I mean, yeah. it is something that happens in the real world. So, yeah. Well, that's the thing. Like, people were, I remember we were at the Paley, um, what was that? The Paley, uh, not festival, it was a panel discussion on Queer as Folk, and there were these um, four people outside who were screaming about uh, Sharon Gless's character, Debbie, and, and how she was being prejudiced to HIV people. And, and I remember at the, in the festival, I said, look, you know, Picasso's hometown is bombed and he goes and he paints Guernica, right? It's the artist's job to actually shine a light on these things that are happening in the world so people can sit back and view it and say, oh my gosh, even in a character I love so much, they're still is this prejudice towards HIV, you know, people living with HIV. Still, she doesn't want him dating her son, you know? And it's kind of like the, I always felt like, one time I said on the show, I said, I feel like I'm a minority of a minority. I'm a lesbian in this gay world. And that was before lesbians seem to have more of a platform now, and we have the L word. And I said that to the producers, and I thought, well, Melanie probably feels like that. You know, we're just kind of, you know, uh, showing what the world is like that. Yeah, there was at the time more so um, not strife, but what is the word I'm looking for? Uh, Kind of like more of a segregation between lesbians and gay men. Now I feel like that doesn't exist as much, but um, I really felt as playing Melanie on the show, like, you know, I was a minority of a minority. And so it was important to show that it's important to show these things and to talk about them, to shine a light on them so we can heal them. And, and and discuss them and, and not just pretend that they that those dynamics don't exist. Um, so, you know, and there are bisexual people in the world, you know, and who knew that uh, Tay's character was bisexual? But she, but she was. And I think that deep down, Melanie always questioned that. I think deep down, I always wondered if, um, my character always wondered if, uh, you know, Brian, the character Brian, could give her something that Melanie couldn't. And I think that also created a lot of insecurity. And then finally, you know, her worst fears became true. So it's, um, it, it's once again, you know, it's good storytelling, good drama, good conflict. Well, thank you with that one. That, that was that was good. <laughs> but, you know, you guys are, like you said, from the moment you guys kind of met, you kind of like just started congregating together. And um, what was those, fi- you guys became a family. So what was those final days like, those final scenes, you know, when the show is, you know, rapping and, you know, emotions are high because, you know, it's coming to an end. What were those moments like? You know, I was trying to process it as we went along because I knew it was going to hit us all hard. And I kept saying, oh, just keep processing it. Don't disconnect from it. But it was very emotional. It was very emotional. And I think I was trying not to act out because, you know, sometimes when if something is such a big emotion, you have to really be mindful. And there are lots of tears at random times. And, you know, I'm sure every show ends like that. But but I think we all knew that this was the revolutionary show that we were going to do. And, and, you know, it would be hard to top because, you know, I I think if you are a rebel and you're in this business, you're always looking for 
something that that's that's interesting and out there and pushing the envelope and you know and, and that show did and so then to come back to Hollywood and to have a script you know it's like I remember they gave me the script to what was that show Jennifer Love Hewitt she was so good ghost ghost whisper or something yeah and I I remember thinking I mean it was it was well written it was beautiful but like I just come off this revolutionary character and this revolutionary show, and it was so exciting, and 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 so that was difficult. That was difficult. Wondering if there would be, you know, I think we everyone tries to look for that next, you know, thing as an artist, and and to do that show it was like when Bob Fosse, you know, when they brought out his dance moves on Broadway, and, and the dancers were hot the first night, opening night, when they were like, get a load of that. Like you've never seen anything like this, baby. And that feeling of get a load of this, you ain't seen nothing like this. That is, I get chills when I think about it, because that feeling as an artist is golden. At least for me, if you're the kind of artist that you want to do things new, you want to, you know, push the envelope. And so, yeah, I think in our own way, we're we're all trying to push the envelope and look for that. So that that was it was sad. I mean, it was sad. At the same time, it had also been five years. And so I think um, you felt like a bit of a gypsy living in L.A., living in Toronto, spending time in New York. You get to a point where, you know, where is my home? So it was nice to be able to come back home and, and feel the, the ground in, underneath your feet. But lots of emotions. And also knowing that it was time. You know, there's talk of a six, uh, uh, season six. And um, you want to leave when people want more, you know. It's like what Trevor Noah said the other night. You want to leave when people are like, but why? Why? Not when people are like, oh, thank God. How long is that going to go on? You know, so it it, it was time. It was time. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that leads into another question we have for you. So we are, you know, everyone, not just us, a ton of people are like, we need a season six or a reunion movie or something like that from you guys. Like when we first saw the announcement that there was going to be this reimagining, we thought it was going to be of the you know, of you guys, but so huge let down there, but, you know, so excited about what did come from it. But anyway, if there was a season six, what is a storyline that you envision for modern day Melanie Marcus? She's in her early fifties now. What would you like to see from her? Well, it's funny because um, someone asked me this uh, um, a while ago and it was before they did generation Q, the L word. And my immediate response was she runs for office. That was my immediate response. And then I think the lead on that show ran for office or something. And I still think, though, that that is a journey that she could take. That could be really interesting. But I wouldn't do it in a, like, oh, she's running for mayor. I would do it in that she gets heavy into activism and she starts promoting other Democratic candidates. I mean, I would do it the way that I've seen and experienced it in the real world. And she starts promoting other candidates. She starts throwing a lot of fundraisers. She starts to get more involved in the Democratic Party. She starts, like, I would I would have it so, so that maybe have her run for office at, like, the, the last episode of the season. So it works up to that, you know? And then maybe uh, Taya's character could be like, why are you doing this to the family? We're already targets. Why are you doing this? Please, can we just, like, live a normal fucking life? And, and her say, you know, I have one life. I have to live with my guts and what I believe. I have to do this. You know, look at our world. Look at the country. Look at where we're headed. It's all hands on deck. And I've got to be part of it for our kids. You know, that's the scene I would have. It's like, I'm doing this for our children, 
don't you understand? She's like, no, you're doing it for yourself, you fucking narcissist. Like, I would have that whole conversation throughout 20 episodes, and I would, you know, get it approved. But that's what I would have, is that conflict of, you know, I struggle with that myself in activism because even though I raised Ashley by myself, you know, the um, Seppi Shine, who's the um, only the second lesbian on the West Hollywood City Council. And I threw my hat in the ring very early on for her because she's a friend of mine. I've known her forever. She's amazing. And um, can you believe it? Only the second lesbian on the West Hollywood City Council. Yeah, it's crazy. It's just nuts. Anyway, boys club. But um but so she called me up and she's like, we're doing, you know, a rally in West Hollywood on abortion rights. And I usually will go and speak and, you know, I'm included in this really lovely group of activists. And I said, oh, my God, I'm, I'm, I've got my son. He's got Taekwondo. And I kept thinking, I can't take Dash. Like, he's never even heard the word abortion. I can't like, you know, I'm sitting there going, well, what do I do? And I was torn and I'm driving around looking for a parking space and, and thinking, but I, who's going to watch Dash? And I can't. And then I could cover his ears. And I'm like, no, I can't. And finally, I called her up. I was on the side of the road. And I was like, Seppi, I will come to any other rally if you give me more of a heads up. But I, I just... I, I can't take him to this and I can't talk about this the way I w- would like to talk about it in front of him. And so, and she understood, but I think that uh, going through that in my personal life and, and is something that I could really bring to the part, but the specifics of it, not to gloss it over and just be like, Oh, she runs for office, but to really get down and dirty and go through those specifics of a mom trying to work and live her passion while raising kids and balancing that. Am I being narcissistic? Am I being, am I, you know, all of that. I think it would be very interesting to explore. That is perfect. Okay. We can totally <laughs> see that. And you add in the whole social I smell media. I a spinoff. <laughs> yeah. And you add in the whole social media thing and her kids saying, you know, Gus and Jay are like, mom, look, what, look at this yes. post about you. And so, yeah, I think that would be perfect. I'm grabbing my popcorn right now. Like yeah, that was amazing. And that's one thing that you said, the social media, because a lot of people do not explore kids in social media because on, on TV shows, and I got to tell you, I cover Dashiell's face all the time. I never have had his face on social media. Maybe when he was like a year old, I had it once. Um, but as soon as he became recognizable as a boy, I, I started um, covering up his face because social media, I think... It's great. It's the democratization of art. It's wonderful. It's empowering. It also has its negative side. And so that's another thing to explore with kids, you know, and especially kids who have two lesbian mommies. And and although I'm sure it's for the most part smooth sailing, there's still you would be shocked at the discrimination I see in schools. And, um, you know, and I live in West Hollywood. So and, you know, there's this one family that, that um, we know that wouldn't teach their kids about the pride flag. And so I'm like, okay, okay, I'm going to wear a big t-shirt with a big, big pride flag. And I'm going like, to open up my jacket. <laughs> yeah. But it's, you think about that, like we're in West Hollywood. We are in the most liberal city in the country, in the country. And we still have that horse shit. And I just had a guy the other day, he's like, why do you wear a mask? Why does your son wear a mask? I'm like, well, we've never gotten COVID. Um, We'd like to keep it that way. And we believe in science. It's really simple. And why are you asking me? What business of it is yours? And he's like, well, I've had COVID three times and I'm not boosted. I'm like, good for you. Maybe you'll get it a fourth. Like, what the hell? 
I mean, it's just maddening. And then he's like, oh, the progressives are ruining L.A. And I'm like, well, maybe you should think about moving. You know, like, that's an option. Yeah, that part. Okay. Yeah. So I think that um, what would be really interesting to explore is uh, when you're in school and nobody, um, like no one knows I was on Queer as Folk. And so they all let down their guard with me. And I'm also very low key as a person, you know, when it's about my son, I make it all about my son. I don't go in there and be like, oh, I'm an actress, you know, and, um, and the, what I see is just terrific. And so I think to explore those storylines and to shine a light on that um, would be interesting because people think that, well, it was Pittsburgh, it was 2000, but it's, it's still there. It's just taken different forms. And I think we need to explore it. And that's why I think I was sad that the reboot was canceled because we need a show like Queer as Folk on the air. We just simply need it. And there should, may there always be a Queer as Folk on the air. And I, I wish it would not have been canceled. And, um, you know, I think it would have maybe uh, been better if they included us. But you know what? I'm still open. I say bring those characters back. We'll meet yeah. them. We'll all mix it up. And yeah. just, I just think that I think there should always be a queer folk on the air. And I think there should be as many gay shows as possible and as much diversity. And we gotta keep pushing the ball down the football field, you know, because there's a lot of there's a lot uh that we're up against. And I do think it's all hands on deck. So all that would be great to explore. Mm-hmm. There is so much there to explore. Even as an older you know, we could explore perimenopause. We could explore, I mean, we could explore things in a really real way. So I think it would be amazing. I think people would love it. Yeah, we 100% agree, agree with that. Okay, last question. Uh, what do you hope people take from Melanie? What's the lesson to be learned from Melanie Marcus? Oh, gosh. Um, I mean, she was so flawed, I, I, I think, but she, but she was so great. I mean, I think it's really to to live your life. I, I think the majority of fan mail I got was from lesbians um, who said that they could envision themselves having a domestic life and having children and having a partner and seeing that helps them to do so. And so to me, that was the real takeaway. I can't imagine growing up and not feeling like you could have children, you could get married, and not being able to envision that for yourself. And so for me, that was the real takeaway that you can have that and you can live your dream. And um, I hope that that just keeps going and people keep passing that around, that inspiration, you know? So it's kind of like my mentor used to say to me, you know, Michelle, you got to stamp your passport. As an artist, you got to stamp that passport. I belong. I take up space. I'm a creator. And I hope that everyone feels that after watching Melanie. I'm here. I take up space. I'm a creator. You're going to hear from me. And to me, that's the empowering aspect of, of that character. It's beautiful. Yeah, very yeah, beautiful. Very beautiful. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, you can let us know where can people find you, follow you, any project or anything you want to promote, anything you've got. Yeah, mostly I'm on Facebook, but I think it's private. I'm not sure. I'm so bad with social media, but I'm on Instagram and that is public. And I got I had to get my blue check because people were impersonating me and private messaging people. So that was really weird. So I, I got that blue check last week. I was like, I need a blue check immediately. So I'm on Instagram and it's public and uh, that would be the best. I think my Twitter is, 
I think it's public too, but Instagram is, you know, right there. So that would be a great place to follow me. Yeah. And I, I did, I co-produced a short film called Distance that is doing the circuit. That is about um, two sisters. Uh, and one of the actresses just happens to be transgender. And she is not even pointed out in the short film. She just happens, happen, she happened to be the best person for the role. So I think that's great. And uh, yeah, it's, it's good. So you can check that out. Excellent. Yeah. Congratulations on that. That's awesome. We're definitely going to check that out. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, this has been great, Michelle. Thank you again for, for joining us. This was, uh, I know, a dream come true. I had told you that he would melt into tears <laughs> if he couldn't join us. I, so. I would have chose violence that day, okay? Uh, sure <laughs> <been playing forward. laughs> okay? I would not have done that to you. <laughs> well, thank you. No, we're going to win. Thank you so much. Yeah. I mean, we and I'm really so glad you did. did. It was really yes. good. You. And you guys, this podcast is great. You guys are lovely. Oh, thank thank you. you. Keep going with this. This is really wonderful. You're wonderful interviewers and um, more of this. Yeah, you guys are great. Well, again, thank you so much for granting us, granting us this time. It's been wonderful. We really enjoy you. We love your craft and we will definitely be checking out um, your new project here as well. Um, you have anything else in closing? No. All right. Well, Michelle, it's been an absolute pleasure. All right, guys. Well, this will conclude um, our episode with Miss Michelle Clooney. Hope you guys enjoyed it. And as we always say, keep it interactive, guys. If you have any questions for us or you want to hear anything or any specifics, just hit us up and let me and Ishel know. And until next time, we are out of here. Bye. Bye.